0: Today I'll be reading And This Your Living Kiss by Opal Bullets. Chapter 2 The rating for this fic is Mature. The pertinent tags for this fic include Poetry, Writer Dean Winchester, Professor Castiel John Winchester's A-Plus Parenting Mentions of Past Prostitution Mentions of Cancer Angst with a Happy Ending Chapter 2 Juvenilia. Dean thought about it. He watched signing time videos with Jack, who each day was becoming more and more of a hilarious little dude. He learned how to make the perfect Irish coffee from Eileen, whose whiskey knowledge probably rivaled Bobby's. He took Baby out for frequent drives, getting a feel for the town and the terrain. He hung out with Sam and couldn't believe how much it hurt to realize how little boyishness he had left in him, the roundness in his face now in clean adult lines. Dean basked in his presence, starved for it after years of growing up in each other's pockets. Then long years stretched painful without him. Relearning his brother was like worrying a wound he never knew he had. In night, lying in bed, sleep far away. He considered texting Charlie for advice. Didn't. And what kind of life did he lead now that he couldn't even bring himself to talk to his best friend? The summer Dean wrote his first poem, he was 16, and forced to spend several hours a day the whole summer in remedial English with the other delinquents and the odd overachiever looking to knock out of high school early. Nothing was going right. His dad had been gone most of the school year, leaving Dean and his little brother Sam for longer and longer stretches of time. Colorado one day, Virginia the next. Two weeks before Christmas he was off to the Texas oil fields, where he absolutely would not take his boys. He dropped them off at the Singers and said adios. Sam and Dean adored the Singers, at least. Between Bobby's scrapyard and Karen's job as an elementary school teacher, they didn't have much, but they were always generous with the Winchester boys. The four of them were able to scrape together something like a normal holiday, and in January, Dean got a birthday pie for the first time in several years but all of that was tainted by what came soon after. Karen's doctor informed them her cancer, the very thing that had prevented her from having her own children, had returned. Chemo needed to start up again right away. Dean stepped up at the scrapyard, doing what he could so Bobby could spend more of his time supporting Karen. School had never seemed less important. Not that the effort ever was worth much when they rarely stuck around for more than a few months. Who gives a shit about worksheets when your family's on the line? Besides, Dean hadn't made any friends in the past year, the weird kid with holes in his pants and soles peeling from his shoes, who hadn't hit his growth spurt, drowning in the leather jacket whose shoulders were far too broad. Sometimes when he stuck his nose in the collar and breathed deep, he could catch a hint of his dad's aftershave. In short, he was lucky that English was the only class he failed. He might not have even bothered with summer school, might have dropped out altogether if Sam and Bobby hadn't gotten on his ass, or if he hadn't seen the devastated look on Karen's face. Like it was worse news than her own diagnosis, or like his failure as a student was hers as a teacher. So he scrubbed his face that first morning, put on a ratty band t-shirt and worn jeans, hopped into the clunker of a car Bobby had helped him fix up, and strolled in a little before 8 a.m. to find a teacher he didn't recognize from the past school year. She smiled at him and said an even, "'Good morning.'" And that's how Dean met Missouri Mosley. He wasn't fooled by that smile, though, and was resigned as he hunkered down at the back of the room, because Dean knew the type. Her eyes were sharp behind that smile, and when the bell rang and she stood up to introduce herself as Dr. Mosley, a silent sigh rippled through the room, because the other schmucks knew as well as Dean that in the case of this teacher, this class was going to be no summer school skate. What are you doing back slumming it with us, Mosley? called one of the kids, Chrissy, Dean thought. He was pretty sure she had a deadbeat dad problem like he and Sam did. Aren't you over at USD now or something? It might surprise you to know, Miss Chambers, that the university also takes a break during the summer. Dr. Mosley responded dryly. I thought I'd come see how y'all were doing. After the half-sarcastic chorus of awls she got in response, Dean realized that all over again he was the odd one out, because she was clearly a former teacher and they all knew who she was. Perfect. As if she could read his thoughts, Dr. Mosley set her gaze on him. I thought I had a couple of new names on my roster. You must be Dean Winchester. Yep, Dean, that's me he said, flashing a cocky smile to cover his blush. Thankfully, the only people in the class concerned with what others thought of them were the goody-two-shoes type, and so he heard none of the insults he had gotten used to hearing over the past year. A droop-shouldered girl with lank red hair didn't even bother looking up. "'And you must be Celeste?' asked the teacher. "'Charlie!' the redhead corrected immediately, jumping on the end of the question. "'Charlie, then.' good to meet you both. "'Now I'm going to tell you a little bit "'how I'm going to run this class. "'Every morning, you'll spend a half an hour "'at the beginning of class writing in your notebooks.' "'A loud groan went up among the students. "'About what?' someone grumbled. "'Whatever you like,' she said. "'I don't care. "'Write about the movie you watched last night "'or the video game you're playing, "'or what you saw on your walk to school this morning. "'Or you can talk about your hopes and dreams, "'your worries.' I'm happy to read anything you have to say. Wait, complained another kid. You're actually going to read it? She raised her eyebrows and fixed him with a stare. Yes, I am. How else do you expect me to know you did the work? Sounds like some stupid college assignment to me, said Chrissy. Some of us aren't college material. Speak for yourself, snapped Josephine. Definitely one of the ones getting her credits out of the way early then. Dr. Mosley held up a hand. If you don't go to college, that would be your decision to make for other reasons. But it won't be because you're not capable. Dean snorted, a little louder than he meant to. The teacher turned her sharp gaze onto him. That goes for all of you. Now, sophomore English is American literature in this district, so we'll spend most of today with an overview. But first, no books out. Grudgingly, the students grabbed notebooks from their backpacks and slapped them onto their desks. Dean hadn't bothered buying a new one for class, simply reusing the most recent one from last year, a blue spiral worn white at the edges from being banged around for so long, as opposed to any actual usage. Only the first couple of pages had anything written on them, and even then, they were mostly doodles. To buy a little time, he carefully ripped them out and crumbled them into balls, "'Then he dropped his head into his hand and tapped his pencil. Surreptitiously he glanced around at the people nearby. "'About half were writing furiously, "'and the others were putting down a few words before pausing, "'thinking hard and putting down a few more. "'The redhead was slowly moving her pen in arcs "'that spoke distinctly of drawing, not writing. "'God, a half hour of this? "'Was there anything in Dean's life he could talk about for a half an hour, "'and to a stranger no less?' A glance out the window proved the day was sunny and cloud-free. If his summer had gone as planned, his free time outside work would have been spent on the Impala. It was Dad's car, and after Mom died, it became their home. Dad bounced from job to job, hopping their family from town to town, and sunk into drunkenness while the car sunk into disrepair. That's how they met Bobby and Karen in the first place. The scrapyard was the closest to them when they needed a part the most, And as Karen would say, John and Bobby spoke fluent car to each other. They shared a similar appreciation for both form and function, they discovered. And after that, the singers became a regular stop on their cross-country trips. But as time went on, John did less and less maintenance, and Dean could only do so much. Before Dad had left them last summer, to Dean's horror, he'd sold it to Bobby in exchange for a used but much newer truck. And now, how was Dean ever supposed to get it back from Bobby if he was stuck here and not learning anything actually useful? After an interminable couple of hours talking about Ann Broadstreet and Nathaniel Hawthorne and fucking Puritans, lunch finally rolled around. When he got to the commons, he took one look and turned on his heel. It was probably less than half full, seeing as it was during the summer, but something about the noise bouncing off the walls, the laughter and the shouting struck him the wrong way. He sighed and wandered outside towards the bleachers. Ash and Aaron had already made a home for themselves beneath them and looked relaxed and ready. Like the rest of the day, the entire week could wash on by and it would be all the same to them. Dean hesitated. They'd let him bum the odd hit before during the course of the year, and he really could use something to dull him, in a different way from English being dull. On the other hand, Dr. Mosley gave the impression that not much got past her and the disappointment that Bobby and Karen would feel. And it was definitely not an example he wanted to set for Sam. He stood in the bleacher's shadows, warring with himself until he noticed Charlie sitting on top of them, looking even more hunched over, if that was possible. No real decision made. His feet were moving, and then he was hopping up, step by step, all the way to the top to join her. She couldn't have missed his approach, but she didn't spare a glance at him. Dean sat a respectful distance away. "'only just close enough that they might still be construed as sitting together. "'The metal was warm and sticky under the afternoon sun. "'Hey,' he said. "'Her red hair was hanging in her face, "'but he could just see an eye through the limp strands. "'Apparently coming to the conclusion he meant no harm, she answered, "'Hey,' but nothing else. "'Dean shrugged and dug into his ratty old backpack "'for the sandwich he'd made himself that morning. "'Ham and cheese, nothing fancy.' he heard a crunch and looked over at charlie she was eating oreos but from one of those small packs with just a few cookies they sell at checkouts and gas stations he knew from sorry experience that between the oreos and the 20 ounce mountain dew sitting at her feet she'd have energy for an hour then crash no way that was going to see her through the rest of the day in good shape she was nibbling instead of taking real bites too making them last Dean looked down at his sandwich, lumpy and squished, but far more filling. Man, I should have brought dessert. I'll trade you half my sandwich for half your cookies. Sammy liked his sandwiches cut diagonally, and so Dean had done the same to his own that morning without thinking, and now he was grateful. He peeled the plastic wrap from the top without touching the food and held it out to her in offering. She looked at it for a moment, then looked up at him. He did his best to keep his expression as guileless as possible, so she felt no pressure or shame. At last, she shrugged and offered her cookie packet. Knock yourself out. The goods exchanged. They both wolfed down their sandwich half, looking at the field spread before them and the poor schmucks in the summer gym running paltry laps around the edges. As boring as the rest of our days going to be, said Dean. At least we're not down there. I'll toast to that. Charlie said, and solemnly lifted her pot bottle in honor of the suffering students below. The summer tripped along. In class, they slogged through the half hour of writing every day, then trudged through the discussions of the scarlet letter and Moby Dick. Dean and Charlie hadn't quite become friends but had reached an amiable understanding in which half her small gas station fare was traded for half of Dean's sandwich or leftovers, and if Dean was being more generous in his food, he packed himself well. No one had to know. It wasn't until Dr. Mosley assigned Jack Kerouac's On the Road that he paid a little more attention in class. Ostensibly, he and Sam were named after their maternal grandparents, but the much-thumbed-through copy of the novel with Mary Campbell's name written in the upper corner of the title page proved that his mother had a fondness for the name Dean, regardless of her mother Deanna. He hadn't read it for some years. Something always held him back. Whether it was self-preservation or fear, he didn't rightly know. He considered not reading it now, either. But there was really nowhere to hide in a summer school class with Missouri Mosley. In the end, he didn't bother grabbing the school-provided copy— "'instead unearthing his mother's book from the small box "'in the corner of the room Sam and Dean shared at the Singer's. "'He'd only gotten as far as the first page, though. "'Seeing his mother's name written in a messy hand, "'had she been Dean's age at the time, "'overwhelmed him as swiftly and powerfully as a summer storm. "'He shoved the book in his backpack "'and figured he could get away with one day's ignorance. "'The next morning... It was the opinions vacillating between dislike and indifference that finally tipped the scales. It made him angry to hear them talk that way about his mother's treasured book, and even angrier that he didn't know what to say to prove them wrong. At lunch break, he finished off the handful of Cheetos that were Charlie's contribution to his meal, licked his fingers scrupulously clean, and reached into his bag for the book. He sighed, tracing the edges of his decades-old edition, black with blocky white text, "'and a small square of an abstract cityscape of reds and blues. "'The edges were all worn white, the pages brown and dog-eared. "'It didn't have a school stamp, so he wondered if she had bought it herself, "'maybe used, maybe hidden from her parents. "'It was literature for rebels, right? "'And now look. It was in a school curriculum. "'Where's that copy from?' asked Charlie. "'Dean looked up in surprise.' "'They did such a good job of minding their own business, "'rarely talking more than it took to exchange food "'and complain about homework "'that Dean hadn't really expected to be noticed. "'Now her light eyes were bright "'with interest in her thin face "'and no hint of ridicule. "'He couldn't bring himself to brush her off. "'Dean bit his lip. "'It was my mom's. "'Her favorite. "'Oh,' she said, "'her eyes going wide for a moment.' before she looked down at the gym kids playing a surprisingly intense round of kickball in the summer heat. Their shouts seemed far away. When she glanced back at Dean, she gave him half a smile. My mom's favorite book was The Hobbit. Past tense, too. He smiled back at her, small, and they shared a moment of understanding. Dean cleared his throat. The Hobbit. That was written by the same guy as Lord of the Rings, right? J.R.R. R. Tolkien! She answered brightly. You haven't read it? Nah, he shrugged. I keep meaning to, because Led Zeppelin references it a lot, but it's pretty long. The Hobbit is shorter, and it takes place first, so... So if you start there, maybe you'll like it? Could be. And I don't know a lot about Led Zeppelin, though you wear a lot of shirts for them, so you must really like them. Dean had the sneaking suspicion that when Charlie felt comfortable, she was a bit of a talker. It was kind of fun hearing her open up. Yeah, they're awesome. You should track down their albums sometime. I will, she said. Tolkien's one of my favorites, too, so that's really cool that a famous band references him. I had no idea. What about you? Is Kerouac one of your favorites? Dean looked back at his worn copy of On the Road, so long untouched, and the thought of the snide comments of their classmates. He shrugged. "'and braced himself for prying questions. "'Instead of pestering him, though, "'Charlie dug through her threadbare satchel "'for her school-issued copy. "'I haven't started it yet "'because I read some things people have said about Kerouac, "'but if your mom loved it, "'must be worth reading, right? "'Since we're both behind, "'want to keep track and help each other catch up?' "'All of a sudden, Dean was overcome "'by a wave of immense gratitude for Charlie.' They barely knew each other, but her empathy and kindness about this little thing that from the outside must look so trivial, it gave him the final push he needed not having to go it alone. He swallowed the swell of emotion. Oh, okay. Her smile widened, and for the first time, Dean saw she was capable of being sunny. Cool. Shall we? They opened their book covers together and fell into a companionable silence as they jumped headfirst into Jack Kerouac's untamed prose.
1: With your on the patchwork quilts. oh no, what am I doing here in the house
0: Jack built? They found themselves reading the next day's pages together every lunch period over the week. One day when it was raining, they sat together in an empty hallway, a dead end in a far corner of the school, legs stretched long in front of them on the industrial carpet. Rain pounded at the window above their heads. "'Ugh!' groaned Charlie. "Mm, "'What?' said Dean, surfacing from the book. "'I'm pretty sure that this guy had no idea that women are fully rounded people.' "'He likes girls.' "'Dean,' she said, exasperated. "'Name me one female character he paints with as much poetry and understanding as he does any of his friends.' Who are all dudes? He narrowed his eyes, about to point out that friends doesn't exclude girls, when his mental Rolodex flipped through all the characters and came up empty. Oh, he said, looking down at the book with something like betrayal. He is kind of dismissive. You think? He looked back at her, half torn between apologizing and getting defensive. Because the guy had his issues, but Dean was still enjoying the book his mom's book. You don't like it then? The indignation deflated from her. Um, now might not be a good time to ask when I mostly just want to give him a piece of my mind. But, um, maybe it would help if you told me what you like about it? He knew she was trying to spare his feelings, which was ridiculous because her criticism was spot on. But also this book really felt like it was speaking directly to his soul. And what did that say about him? Charlie elbowed him. Honest question. Tell me. I can't, you know. I don't know my way around words like he does. He has a way of writing I've never read before. What did Doc call it? Stream of consciousness. Right. It's so full of color, like it feels so rich. And when he describes being on the road, how it's spiritual, sometimes like pilgrimage and prayer, sometimes like everyone you pass is a ghost... Or that you're the ghost. How it's like you're searching for something. Or how you're home at the same time. It's just... It's the truest thing I've ever read. He chanced to look at Charlie, thinking maybe she'd be rolling her eyes. But she looked like she was listening. Like really listening. You know about being on the road? Dean shrugged, flipping his book's pages repeatedly with his thumb. Thwip, thwip. Mom died when I was pretty young. He said quietly. My dad, uh, took it hard. We started moving around from place to place, wherever he could get a job. Sometimes I don't even think it was that, though, you know? Like he was searching for something. And me and my little brother were along for the ride. You have a brother? Yeah, Sammy. Twelve years old and already a genius. He couldn't help but brag. Twelve, huh? What's he getting up to while you're here? Soccer, sometimes. Mostly he's helping out the singers, though, because... He cut himself off, suddenly mindful of oversharing. Family friends who we're staying with. Good people. After a beat, uncertain, Charlie asked, Not your dad? Dean lifted a shoulder. Nah, he's in Texas, I think. He didn't look at her, didn't want to see the pity. But all she said was I'm glad you've got your brother. Dean did look up then. It wasn't just what she said, but because some kind of pain that was lurking behind the words. She'd discarded her book and was hunched over, legs folded, picking at her old red converse where the fabric was detaching from the sole. She took a sharp breath in. My parents are dead. The words thumped against his chest like a weight, squeezing his ribs tight. He ached for her. Didn't know what to say except... No annoying little brothers, huh? Because he knew sorry was in no way going to cut it. Nope, she said. No other family either. This is my fifth foster home since then. Dean was swept with a wave of anger and could only just barely keep his mouth shut about the food she was probably shoplifting from the gas station, which would break their implicit agreement. Who the hell signs up to be foster parents and doesn't even feed the damn kid? Sure, Dean went without sometimes, but he moved the world to make sure Sammy stayed fed whenever Dad came up empty. Fed his dad, too, for that matter. And Bobby and Karen didn't have much, but they did their best and never made excuses. Dean couldn't imagine not having his dad, his brother, and the singers in his life. He and Charlie still didn't know each other, not really. But somehow they shared some of the darkest shadows in their hearts to each other. And even if Dean never saw her again, he knew for that alone he would remember her forever. Since he didn't have the words, not to express all the anger or the wonder or the permanent little spot she just won herself in his heart... "'and there was no way to comfort a grieving child aside from just being there. "'He took out the last container in his backpack, "'which he'd been saving himself as a reward "'for getting through another week of summer school.
1: "'Do you, um...
0: "'Charlie hurriedly wiped away a tear. "'Dean dutifully ignored it. "'Karen made this. "'Mrs. Singer, who we're living with. "'Never lasts long in our house, so I saved a piece before it disappeared.' You like apple pie? A tentative smile stretched the corners of her mouth ever so slightly. Yeah. Awesome, he said, and dug through his bag again. A life on the road meant you never know when or where you're going to end up eating. So he'd long ago made the habit of grabbing plastic silverware packets from food joints. He handed one to Charlie and opened another for himself. Without another word, they cracked open the old Tupperware. And Charlie ate half of Dean's pie without knowing what it cost him. Though he hoped that, maybe, she got the gist. The next week, they finished the book, and Dr. Mosley led the wrap up discussion. She wasn't like any other teacher Dean had ever met. In that, she never stood there and told you how to interpret something, that there was one correct way to read something, and that was it. She'd guide them, point them towards certain details, ask how this line or that fit into what someone was saying, but never dictated from on high. Neither Dean nor Charlie said anything in class unless called upon. Even then, they didn't say all that much. But it was almost more than it was worth when Ed started going off about Jack Kerouac and going on road trips. "'Those were the days, man,' he said. "'When a guy could just hop in a car and do whatever he wanted. "'A car, a destination, and a girl, in that order.' "'So true,' said Harry his buddy. "'And now where are we? "'Gotta go to school, get a degree. "'But someone expresses himself, paints a few dit "'Penises on the bathroom wall, and suddenly I'm the bad guy?' "'Is that really all there was to it?' Dean wondered. "'Nothing of the journey,' Just delinquency? He'd had his fair share of teachers and principals looking down their noses at him. When they saw his ill-fitting clothes, his leather jacket, his rock shirts, his cocky smile. Is this funhouse mirror version Ed and Harry described all they saw? Is that all the world would ever see of him? The class tittered, most in agreement. Only a couple people quiet bored out of their minds. He swallowed and looked down at his book his mother's well-worn copy, and wondered if it was a lie, if he'd just misunderstood, or even if he'd completely misremembered his own mother. "'You're wrong,' said Charlie. Dean snapped his head up, and so did everyone else at the command in her voice, she who'd only ever mumbled answers when called upon. Ed and Harry looked at each other and scoffed. "'What do you know about it?' they asked. "'I've read the whole book, for one,' she retorted. "'And if you'd maybe paid attention "'instead of reading it to justify the way you guys strut around, "'then yeah, he's got mommy issues out the wazoo "'and has zero idea how to treat women like human beings. "'But he's not really the worst we've read in this class, you know. "'He's treating this as a,' she peeked at Dean, "'spiritual journey to better himself, better understand himself.' The entire thing is framed as a secular pilgrimage, not to mention the frank aftermath of the worst aspects of the lifestyle and Dean's inability to even talk at the end. I mean, do you really think that's a ringing endorsement for dick-drawing? Language, Charlie. Sorry, Dr. Mosley, she said, but not at all meekly. I'm just saying that the book is a journey about making some honest sense of life, looking for meaning outside your own little world. Maybe you should try it. Ed and Harry sneered, but in a way that couldn't quite hide the fact they were uncomfortable and didn't have a comeback. After a moment of silence, Dr. Mosley said, That's an impassioned response. Can you share a passage to support your position? Unfazed by the request, Charlie glanced at her notes and called out a page as if as if she'd been looking for all those things Dean had told her about. Like she'd remembered what he'd said about ghosts and pilgrims and even though she didn't like the book she put the effort in for his sake and just now defending him in class though she usually said nothing it was so long since he'd bothered making friends but maybe he'd gone and made a friend without knowing it when the final bell rang and everyone leapt from their chairs without so much as a glance at their teacher and usually dean would be right with them he dawdled because charlie did She shoved her many pens into her thread-worn bag covered in the type of patches you get from gumball machines in restaurant lobbies for a quarter. Dean walked casually out the door, hands in pockets, and leaned on the lockers across the hall. Through the door, he saw Dr. Mosley look up from her desk to smile at Charlie. You made some great points today, she said. Don't be afraid to speak up a little more, hmm? Charlie ducked her head. "'lanky hair hiding her blush. "'Thanks,' she mumbled, "'but still had a pleased air about her as she left the room. "'Hey,' Dean said. "'She stopped and raised her eyebrows in question. "'He nodded his head down the hallway. "'She shrugged in agreement, and they walked to the exit together. "'The post-summer school rush was already almost dispersed, "'and by the time they reached the sidewalk outside, "'there were only a few groups of kids scattered across the parking lot.' "'straddling bikes and circled around the trunks of people's cars. "'Well,' said Charlie, who walked home, "'see you next week.' "'Yeah, um, unless...' "'She raised her eyebrows. "'He screwed up his courage. "'It would all be so much easier if he just wanted to kiss her. "'But it wasn't like that. "'He didn't want to pull her into the science closet and make out. "'He just wanted a friend. "'Why was that so hard?' Why did it feel so much more vulnerable? Thank you for what you said in there. Those assholes deserved it. You should have heard the way they were arguing about Maggie earlier. It was gross. (laughs) I bet. He buried his hands in his pockets again and looked across the parking lot, unseen. Look, um, I'm making dinner tonight. Spaghetti and meatballs, if you're interested. She immediately looked stricken, like she was battling how to let him down easy. He saved her the trouble, trying to squash the hurt rising up inside him. Cool. No dinner. A ride home? Her eyes grew wider. Or not. Sorry. He adjusted the bag on his shoulder and strode toward the clunker he was borrowing for Bobby, well across the lot. You're so fucking stupid. Dean, wait! Wait! Charlie jogged up and grabbed his elbow. He stopped and let her turn him around. I like you, but just as a friend, okay? Yeah, Charlie, that's cool. No, I mean, there's no chance I'll be changing my mind. Okay. She heaved an irritated sigh and squared her shoulders, fire sparking in her eyes. I'm a lesbian, Uh, Dean said. His experience with gay people didn't really go past an odd couple here or there late night at a diner, or that one time he snuck into a bar without realizing it was a drag performance night. No one had ever come out to him before. Was there a protocol? Congratulations. Oh, she said, hackles lowering. Thanks. Then a light bulb went off. Oh, God, you weren't even asking me out. Oh, he echoed, their exchange suddenly making a lot more sense. Nope, I just thought maybe you wanted to hang out since it's a weekend. You could meet the singers and my little brother. I think you'd like him. I'm sure I will. Sorry, I just, I haven't made a new friend in a long time. And I thought, of course, he doesn't actually like me for me. You named yourself after Ray Bradbury. Of course I like you for you. They laughed and smiled a little awkwardly at each other. I'm, uh... I'm not swimming in friends either, you know. She spread her arms. Well, I love spaghetti, but I won't be intruding? Not a chance. His prediction was right. Charlie and Sam took a shine to each other, and she recommended him the Harry Potter books, an unfinished ongoing series, which Sammy immediately made note to find at the library. Bobby and Karen were more than happy to set another place at the table. Karen joined in on the book conversation while Bobby and Dean finished up dinner. It was a cheerful meal after Charlie got over her initial shyness, Dean's little family coaxing out that sunny disposition she had hiding inside. She looked even happier when Sam challenged her to a game on the used Nintendo 64, that Bobby and Karen had scrounged up for him and Dean at Christmas. While she was occupied, Dean jumped at the chance to tell Bobby he could take care of the scrapyard over the weekend, even though he was supposed to be the one to take Karen to chemo. It was an argument Dean usually won when it came up. He was willing to do a lot, but the hospital, being surrounded by the evidence that his aunt and all but blood might be dying, he couldn't. He just couldn't. When Dean finally drove Charlie home later that night, she curled her fingers around the car door handle, but hesitated. My mom didn't die right away in the car crash. The clinker wheezed as it idled, like Dean's brain tripping over the abrupt topic change. What? Charlie bit her lip, staring unseen at the dash. She was in a coma for two months before insurance stopped paying and I was sent away to foster care. I used to go to the hospital, would sneak away to visit her whenever I could, even though I didn't have anything to say. I'd read her The Hobbit. She gave him a quick smile, eyes shining. It was really, really hard. Some of the worst moments of my life. But I don't regret a single second of it. Then she looked at him fully in the face. Once she was gone, I would have done anything to have more time. She'd overheard the discussion then about who was going to accompany Karen to her chemotherapy session the next day. He swallowed and nodded. Good night, Dean. See you Monday. He croaked and waited until she was safely inside.
1: Bell. Friends like these,
0: the next morning, Dean was the last to wake up, having tossed and turned all night, Charlie's words running circles in his head. She was right. He hated the hospital. But when he examined the memories of his mother dying, his only regret was that he couldn't have done more. If Karen, if the worst, if he didn't do his part, he'd regret it forever. Over breakfast, he casually cleared his throat. I was thinking about the backlog, Bobby. You're probably right. If you're okay with it, Karen, I'll keep you company today. He shyly peeked at her as he busied himself with his toast. She was smiling bright enough to lift the pallor from her face. I'd like that. An hour later found Karen hooked up to her chemo. Sure, the hospital had the pleasant odor of warm death sprayed over with Lysol, but he did his best to ignore it. Both of them settled down with a book. She was reading a slim volume called Wit, and Dean was rereading On the Road. They were content to sit and read, until Dean noticed that when Karen finished, she just started all over again. Um, do you want to switch? Dean asked, breaking the comfortable silence that had settled between them. He wiggled his book in invitation. Thank you, Dean, but this is the headspace I'm in right now. What do you mean? She lowered the book and gave him a thoughtful look. Have you heard of this? He studied the cover more closely. There was a middle-aged woman on the front cover, wearing a hospital gown and a baseball cap. And now that he was looking, he realized the title was actually spelled W semicolon T. Not a clue. They don't read plays in high school English anymore, huh? Shakespeare, Death of a Salesman. Pretty sure I've read The Crucible three times in three different states. Karen chuckled and smiled down at the cover. This play won a Pulitzer, and the playwright's a teacher, an elementary school teacher like me. And Vivian, the main character, is a college professor specializing in metaphysical poetry. What the hell is that? A type of poetry from the 1600s. John Donne was the most famous practitioner. Hmm. Let me see. You know the Metallica song, For Whom the Bell Tolls? Sure, based on a Hemingway book. Had to read that for class once. Well, I was supposed to read that. She thwapped his arm gently with the book and reprimand. She didn't hide her amusement, though. Do your homework, Dean. Anyway, Hemingway got his title from John Don's prose. He's pretty easy to find if you know where to look. Okay, cool. So what's up with this Vivian? What's her story about? Her name is Professor Vivian Baring and she has stage 4 metastatic ovarian cancer. Dean felt his eyes grow wide. Why would someone suffering from a disease want to read about an even worse diagnosis of it? Before he could stutter out a response, Karen giggled a bit and squeezed his hand. It's all right. I like how she talks about it. She's all about words and poetry. The story is about the interplay between science and art, Words that keep the uninitiated at bay, and the use of poetry as philosophy, the centerpiece is a poem by John Don. Death be not proud, do you know it? Must have missed that between Florida and Oregon. She smiled at his humor, then leaned toward him, holding out the certain page of the book. Dean scooched over, and they put their heads together. She pointed to the poem. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure, then from thee much more must flow. And soonest our best men with thee do go, Rest of their bones and souls, delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and dost with poison, war, and sickness dwell, and poppy or charms can make us sleep as well. And better than thy stroke, why swellest thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death. Thou shalt die. What do you get from it? Karen asked. Dean shrugged, but almost like a vision he saw Dr. Mosley's unimpressed face. The way she knew you could do better. The way she made it safe to think out loud and talk about things. Besides, Karen was the one who was actually sick. Dean could give her the courtesy of thinking about the nature of death with her. He leaned back in and reread it. I mean, saying that death will die sounds like religious eternal life stuff. Seems pretty confident. Well, he was a preacher, Karen acknowledged. But what if you read this bit of dialogue about it? He looked where her finger was pointing, the brittle nail tapping near the bottom of the page. Nothing but a breath, a comma, separates life from life everlasting. It is very simple, really. With the original punctuation restored, death is no longer something to act out on a stage with exclamation points. It's a comma, a pause. This way, the uncompromising way, one learns something from this poem, wouldn't you say? Life, death, soul, God, past, present. Not insuperable barriers. Not semicolons. Just a comma. Dean blinked. Never really thought of punctuation as being important before. Of course it is. Writing is about communicating your idea, isn't it? I've been getting grammar shoved down my throat my entire life, and not one person has ever said to me that the difference between a semicolon and a comma is a breath between life and death. You know... Karen said, half-sighing as she settled back in her chair. I use a lot of poetry teaching elementary school. Dr. Seuss, Shel Silverstein, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. They shared a grin. There's something about poetry that people respond to, whether they understand the mechanics or not. Fairy tales use poetics, too. Not just when they have poetry, but in the prose itself. What do you mean? Well, what's the difference between a red rose and a red, red rose? I... Dean stopped. He had literally never wondered this before. It just was. It's deeper? A richer color? I think so, too. An important use of repetition. She paused, closed the book, and offered it to him. Still up for that switch? Dean considered it. Plays and poetry had never really caught his interest before, but like it was on his loop, his brain said, Red, red rose, red, red rose, Death shall be no more, and he handed over his kerouac. An hour later, Karen kindly said nothing as tears poured down his face, and Vivian walked bravely into the light, conquering death the only way we can. But she did hold his hand.
1: Take off your and your country girl action. You're reading poetry That's
0: Irish and so black. The play was never far from his thoughts the rest of the weekend. Because they'd moved around so much as kids, neither he nor Sam had had many people. And so when they weren't doing something together, they were reading. Neither of them were particularly picky. But they developed favorites over the years. Sam, adventure tales with the greatest heroes like Galahad, and more recently, grim murder mysteries with high body counts. For Dean, it was fantasy and dystopia and horror. And on the road. But this was different. It was weird not to be able to stop thinking about it. Was there something more to all this? That filled him with the same awe as Vivian Baring when she first learned the word soporific. He thought of the music he liked. He loved a good rock song about music and women and beer. But what he really loved was Led Zeppelin poetry. And it wasn't weird for a guy to be into poetry, was it? If the rock gods wrote lyrics, and if it was good enough for Plant and Bowie and Queen, was it good enough for him? That Monday when he got to school, Charlie was already in her seat. She looked up at him and smiled. Hey, good weekend? asked Dean. She shrugged. Finished a book. You? Me too. A play, actually. Karen lent it to me. We were reading together at the hospital. Her face brightened considerably and he knew she understood. How is she? About the same. Doing what she can. That's all they had time for before Dr. Mosley handed back their daily writing notebooks. He sighed as he looked down at the blank page, his mind just as empty. Well, not empty, empty, but empty of words. Just feelings. Images. The smell of the hospital. Karen's pale face. Bobby stroking his beard. The aged, knowing look in Sammy's eyes. Charlie's tears. His mother's hair. Death, capital D. Pencil should be moving, said Mosley mildly. Death ain't proud, he wrote. But he's got power. Wearing a dark suit and a darker glower. He drives a bone-white Cadillac that should be dead for lack of gas. He asks me if I want to ride. I got nowhere to be. I hop inside. When the red sun hits high noon... "'we pull over and park at a greasy spoon. "'He eats fried pickles and I down a shake, "'and we both praise the fresh apple pie they bake. "'Still I don't ask where my mother's gone "'or wonder how soon it is I'll be along. "'It ain't easy being me,' he said, "'shuttling across the souls of the dead, "'pulling them up from their dying bed, "'and half of them don't even want to be led. "'Even though you're a young man,' i figured you just might understand they say i'm in charge but it's all a sham this ain't personal and there ain't no plan so sons and wives and fathers die we cry our tears and ask god why but death himself he makes no fuss just wipes us off his shoulder dust to dust dean chewed his bottom lip and looked up at the clock To his surprise, it had taken almost the entire allotted writing time to get all that down. Still, there were a couple minutes left, but those thoughts, their attendant emotions, had somehow settled inside him, or were maybe released, and the words went with them. So he spent the rest of the time drawing the old Cadillac, like the one he'd seen in Bobby's scrapyard once. After handing it in, he put it out of his mind like he always did, his drivel shut away with the creak of cheap paper sliding along the spirals. When the notebooks were handed back the next day, he just wanted to make sure he got the check mark which declared he got credit. He was already suffering the indignity of summer school. He may as well get a decent grade out of it. But with some surprise and no little trepidation, he saw that in addition to a big red check mark, Dr. Mosley had written, This is excellent, Dean. Please see me. See me? he whispered incredulously. If it was excellent, then why was he in trouble? With the scritch-scratch of pencils surrounding him, he knew he had to write something. And so he defaulted back to his monster-inspired ramblings. Maybe he hadn't gotten over Carver Edlin yet, sue him. And a play-by-play description of Sam's last soccer game. At their ten-minute morning break, he told Charlie he was going to be a sack and edged up to Dr. Mosley's desk. You wanted to see me? She smiled like she could smell his fear from across the room. You're not in trouble. Have a seat. He parked his butt on the front and center desk and crossed his arms. The doc raised her eyebrows but got up from her chair and circled the teacher's desk, leaning against it so they were level. I very much liked your poem. Do you write poetry often? Dean shook his head. You have a decent ear for it. Ever been in a writing class? Done a workshop? I'm in summer school for English, said Dean, pretty sure that speaks for itself. Don't give me that. I really do read these things, you know, she said, patting the stack of notebooks on her desk. I don't know why you failed last year, but it has nothing to do with your understanding of the material. Are you interested in writing? Dean gave half a shrug, squeezed his arms tighter. Karen, um, family friend. She showed me a poem this weekend, and I couldn't get it out of my head. That's all. Was it Death Be Not Proud? You know it. She smiled gently. (laughs) I do. You know I got that doctor in front of my name for studying poetry. Yeah? Oh, yes. So know that when I tell you your poem is good, I do have a credential or two to back it up. Dean snorted. You can't possibly think that I'm anywhere as good as Shakespeare or whoever. You want honesty? He nodded. All right, then. Your meter needs work, and you have a tense shift halfway through the piece. The idea isn't as developed in the words as I'm sure it is in your head, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a couple nice images, decent rhymes, and a strong voice. That's true, too. Your prose is good, Dean, I do have fun reading your monster stories, but your poem really shines. If you practice, you could develop quite a skill. What does it matter? Dean said. You either have it or you don't, right? You told us that Kerouac wrote On the Road in one sitting. He wrote the first draft in one sitting, and he was full of drugs. I don't recommend it. She eyed him until he nodded. What we read for class is highly edited and half the length. What? Aunt has a craft to it, just like working on cars. She gestured towards the Led Zeppelin shirt he was wearing. Do you think Jimmy Page learned to play guitar in a day? Okay, so you have to practice. But I'm not going to stand here and believe Jimmy Page didn't have innate talent. I'm not a writer. I don't have it in me. I say you do. Who says you don't? He didn't have an answer, just looked away. A group of kids strolled past the window on the way to the parking lot, maybe. The doc nodded to herself. Now, I can't offer you extra credit without giving the same opportunity to the rest of the class, so this won't have any bearing on your grade. But I'd like for you to humor me. She went back behind the desk and rummaged in her large bag. She drew out two small books, thin and only a few inches high. They had similar black and white covers. I got the impression from your essay that you really liked On the Road, is that right? Yeah, it's... it's one of my favorite books. Good. Well, he and his friends were a part of the Beat generation. So was Allen Ginsberg. Remember how Sal Paradise in the book was a stand-in for Kerouac himself, and Dean Moriarty was really his best friend, Neil Cassidy? Ginsberg was Carlo Marx in On the Road. He wrote poetry. She handed him the books. One was titled Howl, and the other a Kaddish. His lines come off as very natural in his work, conversational, stream of consciousness. But he didn't finish poems in a day. Sometimes it took him weeks, even months. Months? For a dumb poem? Just try it. If you like it, after we read Ralph Ellison, I might squeeze in some poetry and see if we can get the whole class writing. Then you can get in some practice. If you don't like it, what's the harm? He looked down at the books. They were small enough to fit in the inner pocket of his jacket. Yes, ma'am, he mumbled and joined Charlie out in the hall. I know you're warm.
1: the warmest person alive. But are you warm, deep down inside?
0: He hadn't known it then. But with the power of hindsight, Dean realized that at that moment, Missouri Mosley had chosen to see him, just as Mr. Wyatt had chosen to see Sam. The result was different, perhaps, but no less life-changing. Not right away, of course. Dean sure Sam probably attacked his homework that same night. But Dean... For a few days, he didn't touch the books. There was the actual homework to half-ass, his real work helping Bobby at the yard, helping keep up the house, Chipping away at the impala, and of course, finding some quality time for Sammy. But nevertheless, he found himself putzing around the scrapyard that weekend. He'd taken to carrying the books around with him, slim and short enough to fit in his baggy jeans. The more he walked, the more he felt their weight tugging at his belt. When he couldn't ignore it a second longer, he climbed into an abandoned car, the broken windows allowed for a nice cross breeze in the heat and pulled out the one called Howl. For Carl Solomon, it read, One. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix. Angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo and the machinery of night who poverty and tatters and hollow-eyed and high sat up smoking in the supernatural darkness of cold-water flats floating across the tops of cities, contemplating jazz. Dean was hooked immediately because it was a howl. It was. Relentless and passionate and loud and honest in a way he had rarely experienced. He didn't even notice that he was reading a poem that was several pages long. He hadn't known you could use words like that in poetry. In the fifties, no less. Wasn't it supposed to be all about high ideals and flowery language written so you couldn't understand? But this poem he understood. Mania and music and drugs and the demon Moloch. But also, solidarity with friends. The sanctity of the downtrodden. The footnote with its orgasmic, nirvanic litany. Holy, holy, holy. Holy the cocks of the grandfathers of Kansas the poem ripped something open inside of him, drew out his veins and pulled the tangled strands south, planting them in the fertile soil of his first home, rooted in his family history and for the first time, he understood what a poem could do, really do. Eagerly, Dean devoured the rest of the collection. A strange new cottage in Berkeley, Sunflower Sutra, and then, in the pinking dusky sky, many loves... In which Allen Ginsberg and Neil Cassidy, Dean was named after Neil Cassidy, Dean Moriarty, ladies' man, which every red blooded American male envied, shared a bed. Oh God, they were together on a small cot. I lay there trembling, Allen wrote, and felt his great arm like a king's. And Allen wrote, I began to tremble. He pulled me closer with his arm and hugged me long and close. And he wrote sexual tenderness, and pressing his cock to my thigh and mine to his, and my hand at his waist trembling, and ass of lone delight, ass of mankind. He wrote dowry of mind and angels, ass of hero, Neil Cassidy. Dean closed his eyes, trembling himself, skin rippling into bumps. Hero and brother and boy of my dreams. He'd never come across anything in which a man described another man like that. Was it possible? Could men really be more to each other than harsh, impersonal touches and hidden alleys and dirty pool hall bathrooms, all he'd witnessed in his years of travel, and sneaking around places he shouldn't have been while his dad drunk himself into a stupor? And was it all right that sometimes, even though Dean really liked girls, he felt... that sometimes he felt... Like how Alan must have felt when he wrote this poem? Did the real Neil Cassidy like women and men both? Was Dean really not alone? He reread the poem, mouthed the words, tasted them, until the South Dakota summer sun disappeared behind the horizon of rusting cars and he was called inside for dinner. Rufus Turner and his wife Gwen had made dinner at the Singers' that night, which had allowed Dean his brief time alone. But he barely tasted the food, mind overrun with the long phrases and tender caresses of Allen Ginsberg's poetry. Thankfully, no one could bring out Bobby's loud side like Rufus could, and the meal was an otherwise raucous and joyful affair. He finally got a reprieve when dinner was done, and Gwen and Karen went to talk in the study and Sam went back to his homework while Bobby and Rufus did the dishes. Dean slipped out onto the back porch and onto one of the old wooden chairs. He pulled out both of the poetry books and bit his lip, staring down at them. How? Caddish. He didn't know if he could handle opening the former again, knowing he'd go right back to many loves. But he wasn't quite brave enough to open the latter, either. What new, unspoken truths would this one speak into being? The back door creaked open and Dean jumped, but wasn't quick enough to hide the books. He must have been sitting out there longer than he'd thought because Bobby and Rufus were done cleaning up. Caddish, Rufus noticed. A goy like you even know what that means? Uh, nope, Dean admitted. Rufus settled down in the chair next to Dean and Bobby in the one next to that, both with beers in their hands. It's like a Jewish prayer praising God, said Rufus though in that case, he nodded towards the book. It's specifically about praying and mourning. Dean's eyes went wide. You know Allen Ginsberg? You hear that, Bobby? Do I know Allen Ginsberg? He muttered into his beer before taking a swig. Bobby chuckled. He's a pretty famous poet, Dean. A famous Jewish poet, Rufus corrected. Though he owed a lot to black artists, jazz musicians, Langston Hughes. "'Who's Langston Hughes?' asked Dean. "'Boy, you're talking to me about knowing Allen Ginsberg "'and you've never heard of Langston Hughes, "'one of the greatest poets this country ever produced. "'Harlem Renaissance? Nothing?' "'Dean shrugged. "'Bobby, you got Hughes in your collection?' "'I've got him,' said Bobby. "'Good,' said Rufus. "'If you're going to read Ginsberg, you better read Hughes.' "'Yes, sir,' said Dean.' While you're at it, said Bobby, waving away a mosquito, you should read some haiku. Uh, said Dean, who didn't have a single clue what those silly short poems they made you write in elementary school had to do with the very long lines of Allen Ginsberg. Why? Eastern Poetics had a big influence on Ginsberg. He even did his own English versions of some of the Japanese masters, like Matsuo Basho. Bobby cleared his throat spoke a few words in Japanese, and then recited gruffly. The old pond. The frog jumped in. Kerplunk. Dean sat stupefied. Crickets chirped out among the heaps of old cars. Rufus roared with laughter, slapping his knee. Poem by a great master. It loses something in translation. You wouldn't know real culture if it bit you in the ass, said Rufus. It's not just the words of the haiku, Bobby groused but the idea behind it, the stillness and the sudden breaking of it. And the argument was up and running. Dean wondered at it. Two grumpy old men in South Dakota, flannel-wearing, gun-toting, red-meat-loving, neither of whom went to college, bickering about what constituted good poetry. Did everybody read poetry? Was this some secret that Dean had until now been ignorant of? If Ginsburg could write it, and Bobby and Rufus read it, and Dr. Mosley insists that Dean give it a chance. Maybe he should listen to what they had to say. At least for tonight. Dean had listened then, and kept listening. He supposed in that way Bobby and Rufus had been his teachers too, and Karen. He'd almost forgotten all the people it had take to start him writing in earnest. Of course, Missouri was the only person who'd known at first, reading the daily notebooks for class, and she had coached him even when summer school was over, emailing his poems back and forth. When he got good enough, Charlie helped him maintain his anonymity by making sure his work never got connected back to him, computer whiz that she was. He still couldn't quite get over the embarrassment of just how personal his poetry was, and wasn't brave enough like Ginsburg to slap his name on it for all to see. Instead, Dean used his, and Kerouac's, and Sam. There was never going to be any real hiding it from Sam, Dean didn't let his little brother read from his notebooks ever, but Sammy had been proud all the same, practically got more excited than Dean when he got his first poem published in a journal at 18. It had been nice being able to share that with Sam. It had kept them connected in a way little else did, when Dean was spending his time in Kansas caring for his dad while Sam finished up school in Sioux Falls. Though not connected enough, he thought grimly, kicking the sheets off the bed. When Karen went back into remission, he'd moved to Lawrence almost full-time and the brother's relationship suffered. He turned onto his side and scrunched his pillow into a ball before flopping back down on it. When was the last time he'd made his brother proud? There'd been a faint echo of it, he realized, when Sam thought Dean was going back to school. Eventually that thought faded away too, leaving nothing but the bare, unvarnished truth, as only a poet could know it that rediscovering poetry had been his goal in coming here all along. Just because he didn't like the way Missouri and Sam thought he should go about it didn't give him an excuse to chicken out. He sighed and plucked up his phone, tapping out a quick email to Missouri to set up a time for Dean to meet with this Novak guy. Only when it was sent could Dean find his way to sleep.
1: If it's through clenched teeth, that's what you've driven it to, want us to be lovers, want us to be friends. Kittens on the patchwork quilt Oh no, what am I doing here in the house Jack Farrow White built? There's white magic and bad rock and roll Your friend there says he's the gatekeeper to my soul The velvet curtains Chinese bell Friends like these You're damned as well Keep me away from her Keep me away from her Keep me away from her Shake off your despondency And your country girl